So you've been reading a lot. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's all all I've been wanting to do, but it's been interesting. I, this week, I don't think I picked up a a book other than scripture. But what I've what I've done, and this is, is I don't know. Uh, so I took the entire Book of Mormon and put it in a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. So every verse is there, and then you can use Excel to to filter stuff easy. But from that. I just grabbed sections of it, copy and paste it, and then I wrote this program where it'll find similar verse or similar phrases within mm-hmm. the verses. So I'll grab ten verses and then just say, okay, find this, find two word pairs, three word pairs, four word pairs that are repeated, and that's a good good way to find parallelisms. But what I found in this, and this is just like I've been captivated by this morning to night, is that you know parallelisms occur on many levels, you can have a repeated word like Jesus Christ and see it in two or three verses and think, okay, well, there's a thought there. But parallelisms aren't just the words, they're the ideas. And so sometimes it's not that you find a repeated word, but you find repeated meanings or contrasted meanings. And when you find those, the the intent of the original scripture just comes alive. And, and it's been like just night and day of just like, even before I came here, I thought, I got to stop or I'm going to be late getting to my eggs because I'm just like, you know, find these 10 verses and just want to focus on them. And so what what I've found with these parallelisms is that in the past, I only thought chiasms were it. And there's chiasms are there, but yet in within the chiasms are these parallelisms. And when you divide those out in the way they meant them in the Hebrew, there's like, a whole nother level of meaning that just becomes obvious. And it's mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's like deep things we never saw, but it just you realize that they were really skilled in driving an idea home if you knew the method they used to drive the ideas home. And 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 then these these meanings become apparent on multiple levels. And I'm I'm just like I I mean for various reasons, I just feel like in awe of people like Nephi because it's like they 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 understood this stuff so, so much, and, and and the way they expressed it, it's like it can it can make it can have meaning to a to the I don't want to say it derogatorily, but the simplest of all people, because the scriptures kind of say the unlearned. Right, right. This is going to the unlearned. Right. But the depth of it all just goes beyond anything, and it's like. That's it, it. You just see it in both directions. So anyhow, I've been intrigued by that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Two things that came to my mind while you're saying that. One was uh, the Book of Mormon, Nephi. I think it was Nephi that says, "Oh, that I was mighty in writing, like, you know, like I am speaking. in my speech." Exactly. And I was thinking, that's the opposite of me. When I stand up to speak, I'm like, "Oh, that I could just write out my thoughts as a, you know." And it's the opposite. But I think that's because Nephi, like it says in the scriptures, one day we won't have to be taught. It'll be written on our hearts. And so he's like, that word of God, the true meaning of God had become such a part of him and integrated in him that, you know, they said he would ask nothing amiss. You know, the Lord could trust him. It was just emanating from his heart. There was no need to try to think, how can I make this? It was him. Yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah. and that's someday it says, we're all going to be like that. We're not going to have to continually go back to the word and try to, 
do all of this. But in the meantime, I'm seeing, Corey, the other thought I had was, it says the Book of Mormon will establish the truth of the first, which was the Bible coming from the Gentiles. just read that this morning. And so... I know that at times you're thinking like, man, maybe this is, you know, we don't want to get buried in the, in the pink, you know, the insulation and the rafters and all that and miss the story. But I think this is helping to establish the correct story so that we uh, can establish more clearly the the words we already have in the Bible. Like we get the correct meaning from those, you know, because like you said, you know, mercy and justice is, is barely mentioned in the Bible together. And yet the entire book of Mormon is about mercy and justice, the two parallels of God. I mean, that's the basis of religion. If you want to start at any place, our God is a God of mercy and justice. And from that lens, we are going to view all of the written word because everything we do is either going to allow mercy to rob justice so we don't spend eternal damnation or justice is going to have its claim on us because we didn't repent and so we have no claim on mercy. It's just (laughs) so stinking simple and yet... Within that is is like it's not simple though to walk through the mists of darkness. That's why he says you have to cling, cling, cling to the word of God because you will get lost. You will be hardened to the simple truth. You'll be blinded to the simple truth. And that's and he says, and this is the opposition that I'm putting there to inflict on you so that you can you can learn to have my word written on your heart. So it yeah. just becomes a part of you, man. It's a beautiful story, but I, can be told in a million different ways and all mean the same thing. It's just incredible. You know, if you wouldn't be recording this right now, we'd be halfway through our podcast. Oh, we're know? recording it, buddy. <laughs> I hit record when you walked in. <laughs> Are you picking me up? That's too funny. We will, we'll, we'll have to pause for a prayer because we get going. But, yeah, no, I uh, – as soon as you started talking about I could, the parallels, I just wanted to capture it in case we didn't again later. So, oh, man. This will be a good intro. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's pause here. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. I welcomed you in a little early today, uh, as you saw. I just hit record as soon as Corey walked in the door, so you can (laughs) see how it usually goes. We really just start talking and are excited to share with one another anything the Lord's put on our heart this week, and and that was just kind of how it goes. And so we're going to continue on today. We do have a couple of topics we wanted to address, ones <clears throat> that came from some listeners that have brought some things up, and so we wanted to take time to respond to them, uh, some questions and um, things they had. So without going too far, I wanted, um, I thought maybe, Corey, you could take this first one. I know you don't even really have to. I, I, I got to take one that I that I saw the listener who said, uh, they really enjoy listening to the podcast with Mike Barrett and Tony Stark. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that popped up on Facebook. I think it auto-corrected Corey to Tony. So I am in the company of the great the Iron, Iron Man. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, Corey, we had um, a listener send, uh, send in a correspondence that was wanting to know a little bit more about the Gentiles in the Book of Mormon, and if the Book of Mormon, you know, did it come through the Gentiles, or are we of the house of Israel? Um, are we the Gentiles talked about in the Book of Mormon? And I know you you know about this, so go ahead. 
So that is a really, really good question, and it's really the heart of what I think the Book of Mormon talks about, um, the truth that comes from the Book of Mormon. So without getting into all the scriptures, uh, and, and I can support this with scriptures, but let me say this. The idea of the Book of Mormon was that Nephi's people were broken off from the lineage of the house of Israel. They were direct, direct blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of those people. So <clears throat> the Book of Mormon talks about people who are of the lineage, but it talks about people who come into the covenant. If you repent, you have the same blessing, future, salvation, whether you were born into the lineage or not. Gentiles were supposedly people who weren't born into that lineage. If you weren't of that literal descendant, you were Gentile. Well, when we come to Christ, we're spiritually adopted into his family, whether we're Gentile or Jew or Joseph or whatever. So we're all the same as far as that goes. But, and here's, here's the point where it comes down to timelines and people and places. The Book of Mormon was written by people of the House of Israel, but it wasn't intended to come back to them directly. The Book of Mormon teaches it was to come to the Gentiles, and that's our people. That's our nation. That's our culture. Our, we are the church of the Gentiles, even though we've been spiritually adopted in Israel. This is important to understand because without that, the rest of the Book of Mormon doesn't make sense. The times of the Gentiles were one that times when the Book of Mormon or the fullness of the gospel returns to the people who weren't Israel. But that isn't the end of the story. So the Gentiles are us in the Book of Mormon, even though we're spiritually adopted in, we may or may not be of that lineage, right? And so the, the Book of Mormon dif differentiates because in the last days, the gospel returns to the literal remnant, the Jews, the house of Joseph, you know, we believe Native Americans and, and others, and people we don't know of, you know, lost tribes, people in, in Africa, there's in other places of the world. These all have equal claim because God said, I'm going to bring all you guys back together in Zion. So, so right now, we, even though we're spiritually numbered among Israel, and that's the term the Book of Mormon uses, the Gentiles will be numbered among the house of Israel. We, we still are this land, people, culture of the Gentiles where the church is established. I don't know if, if, that, if that's complete to the yeah. question. In the Book of Mormon, there's one phrase in there that says, and it, this shall come by way of the Gentile, yes. the records back to them. And I think that so completely states, and maybe, Corey, you can find that scripture. We can just read that word for word. But um, I'm on it. Uh, you go, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Okay. I was just going to say, um, regardless of the lineage of Joseph Smith Jr., which we believe there is certain lineage tied in there, it also says it'll come by way of the Gentile. Well, go ahead and read this, the scripture. Yeah, so, and the context for this is really good because it's in the RLDS version. It's First Nephi chapter 4. It's after Nephi explains the vision of the tree and the prophecies that he saw, the same that Lehi saw. He's explaining these to his brothers, and they have questions. And so in their question and answer period, he's talking about the grafting process. And he says, these Gentiles and everyone 
will be grafted in back to the house of Israel. But he says, at that day, this is First Nephi 4, verse 17, when the remnant of our seed know that they're the house of Israel, they're the covenant people of the Lord, they'll come to a true knowledge of their forefathers. And then he says, this is like grafting in a branch from another tree back onto the original tree. But then he says this. So he explains, he said, but this doesn't come to pass, jumping to verse 26, until they're scattered by the Gentiles. And then then it says, by way of Gentiles. It meaneth, then verse 27 is the punchline. He meaneth that it shall come by way of the Gentiles, that the Lord will show his power unto the Gentiles, for the very cause he be rejected of the Jews of the house of Israel. So this whole process of bringing restoration back to Nephi's people is to happen through us, through through our group of people. That's that's what it's meaning. And 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 in the process of bringing it back to the covenant people, which was promised in the Book of Mormon, we read about that. He is also blessing the Gentiles and giving them opportunity to hear and accept the fullness of his gospel. Exactly. That's been the plan since the beginning. The same news that came to Israel through the apostles in the day was pure after Jesus' days. And then it got kind of corrupted, and then it got really corrupted. And then he said, I want to give the Gentiles the same mercy. So that's why. And and Nephi explains this in the third chapter of his first book. That's why the gospel came back to the Gentiles, because God wanted us to have his full knowledge of salvation as anyone else ever had. The first, last, the last first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, good. That's just a little bit on that. Um, And we've got some other episodes, I think, that talked about that uh, fuller quite some time ago. Fuller, Mm -hmm. more full. You know, one, one thing on that too, Mike, that we've never done really, I think, on any of these episodes is um, talking any detail of this parable of the olive tree, which is in the third chapter of Jacob in the Book of Mormon, RLDS version. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that whole story is a metaphor for this process, and it, and it shows how you know, the tree was the original people, the branches broken off was their scattering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Certain grafting back in came from wild trees. Those were the Gentiles, and they helped the tree grow. But eventually, and and here's the point where we're at with all this right now, and this is why it's important that we as the Restoration understand this story because we're part of this story. There's a point where everything that got grafted in to that tree that was wild produces bad fruit. There's no good fruit, and the tree is dying. Everything's dying. There's no way to keep it alive. And so what happens is the master of the vineyard, in his wisdom, goes back to one of the trees that have been broken off and grabs a branch from that and brings it back to the original tree that he's trying to keep alive. And that is the word of Joseph. That is the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon's testimony is what revives Israel to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it brings them back to the truth. It brings them back into the fold. It brings them back into proper relationship. It teaches them what the real gospel is. And so that's part of this prophecy. And and it's by way of Gentiles, meaning that, hey, it came from us. But just like so many cultures in the Book of Mormon, when, when the Jaredites rose up, they were this huge, great civilization, but they spiritually died off, and all we had left was a record, you know, plates of these 24 plates, Limhi finds. When Nephi's culture has their 
thousand years of time in the new world, but they kill each other off and they spiritually, you know, fall away. All we get from them is a record, right? We get this mm-hmm. record from them. And then, so God brings that record to the Gentiles, us, and unfortunately, but it's just part of the story, he says, the Gentiles will reject this too. And all we're going to have in the end is the record that's going to go back to Israel. It's and, and this is, I think, important that we understand that we can say whatever we think about, well, we're the true church and we're restored and we're going to build Zion and all this. But God said it's this process that the record of his people that came to us, it's that when it goes back to them that changes the destiny, that cha- that makes the covenants fulfilled, that changes the destiny for Israel and the world because that's when their hearts turn back to Christ. That's when they realize who they are and what they are and where they came from. That's that's crazy. That's uh, I just read this morning something I hardly ever. I was I was down a little rabbit hole, but uh, ended up in Ezekiel, which I stay away from if I can. But <laughs> um, it was this great story of this God delivering Israel in the last days from their enemies, and so much so that these enemies would march against them and they would be destroyed, and there would be so many bodies that it would just it would be a stench into the into the nostrils of his people. And he said, you will get, you will go out and employ full-time people that they do nothing else but go day to day and bury all of these bodies. Mm. And if you go around and then someone else comes, if you go around, you even see a bone or anything sticking out of the ground, put a marker there and make sure you come back and bury it Mm. and call all of the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and let them come and drink the blood and eat the flesh of Mm. the enemies that they may know this great feast that this Lord has come back to his people and he will he will not turn his face or his favor from them any longer, that they will be his people and they will be righteous. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i tell you what, man, I think of the Lord of the Rings and all these great battle scenes and everything, and they have nothing on the Old Testament and the, the very <laughs> first authors, the poetry that's written there. <laughs> wow. um, and I probably did a terrible job of uh, just saying that. I think it's Ezekiel uh, 29 or 39. Anyway, yeah. if anybody's interested, just uh, Google search uh, "blood and flesh" oh my. in the Old Testament, and you will have uh, your hands full. So, <laughs> yeah, you know the Old Testament. I tell you what, if if you made movies of that today, they they would get worse than a PG rating in, <laughs> in many cases. Well, this uh, next one is from a brother in California. It says, uh, "My question is: I have LDS friends in the past that would elude that verse thirty nine and I'll get to that in Jacob, would sanction polygamy or Brigham's polygamy edict. I personally think that it's twisting the verse to make it say something it's not. I do not believe in polygamy or anything like that, but I was curious to hear you guys speak on this no matter how brief. We are listening. Keep up the great talks and keep working. Keep walking us home in Gospel Bonds, <laughs> California. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so I just had a brief thought on that, and um, God... In the very Book of Mormon, let's go right to what the Book of Mormon says. So mm-hmm. let me read, let me read this verse that he alludes to, and I had never even thought of it like this. I can see where, uh, if you wanted to support some evil doings, you could twist it. But uh, the second chapter of Jacob, verse thirty-nine in the RLDS version, says, "For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people." Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. 
Now, what are these things? Well, if we back up, there are people who gathered together to hear the word of God. And Jacob says, I wish that I could just preach the pleasing word of God to you today for your hearts. But apparently there was some iniquity going on among them, and he needed to make sure they understood the word of God. And so he says to them, um, and he apologizes basically to the women and children that are there to listen. But um, he says that, I must speak to you concerning a grosser crime, grosser than just pride and everything. And you can read the whole chapter. You need to read it. We're going to go very briefly. But he says, My heart would rejoice exceedingly, but the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. Okay? This people begin to wax in iniquity. They don't understand the scriptures. And they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms. And I would say that's the same thing that people have done in the (laughs) latter days by taking this scripture, and we could say you don't understand the scriptures, you you seek to excuse yourself because of so you can commit the same whoredoms. And so, if people, of course, want to do something so gross, they have to get somebody behind them. They have to prove that well, Joseph Smith, the prophet, supported this, and Brigham Young issued a revelation after Joseph was dead. By the way that this is all supported and that Joseph was into this because that justifies them committing whoredoms. And no matter how much stuff you read on YouTube or in literature that says Joseph had many wives and he did this or that, there has been, and it's harder to find, but there has been research. And if you go to the people that knew him, to Emma, even though they say Emma says that she saw that, that from her own words, she never believe Joseph to be a polygamist. Joseph said, people say I have many wives. I can only find one mm-hmm. from his own words. A lot of stuff comes out after he's dead, which right. I found out this week some more. But um, anyway, we can debate that all day long, but go back to the word of God. What does it say? You want to, you seek to excuse yourselves so that you can commit these whoredoms. Right. And then in verse 37, you know, he says, whoredoms are an abomination to me. I, <clears throat> to me, this whole subject comes back to something much more fundamental. The idea in the garden was the foundation of one man and one wife, but but why? But why? It's because the church was represented by the woman and the idea that the man was represented by the God by or God was represented by the man in this relationship is that God wanted us to understand he has and always will and only have one church. I mean, the church are those who have been born again and, and born you know, through baptism and their covenant and their change of heart and this presence of the Spirit. All those things make that person changed into becoming the body of Christ. But this, and, and by body of Christ, I'm talking about the church. But the point is that... <clears throat> God didn't have two or three or four wives because he doesn't have two or three or four churches. This is this is the lesson we have to understand. This, to me, for any other reason, is why polygamy has been and always is false. Now, I understand it happened in the Old Testament, and there are people we look up to who had more than one wife. I mean, Jacob, who was the father of Israel, revered his holy man. He, he's got four wives, right? But 
There was yeah. never a time, in G- and Jesus is the one who says, hey, anything more or less than this cometh of evil. He's the one who talks about, you know, being faithful to your wife. And and he's the one who's talking about these whoredoms. And he never commanded any people in his day to practice this. In fact, re- regarding um, the, a subject that's somewhat related to this, and, and I want to try to tie it in, and, and I, I don't bring this up to... I, I know divorce happens for various reasons, and 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 I don't condemn people or, or, or for for any of this. I but although sometimes people can be, but but I I think people need to understand this. When the people were asking Jesus about divorce in his day, he said, "Well, you guys had it only because Moses begged me." It's kind of like the same people who wanted a king. God said, "Well, don't have a king, but okay, but we want a king. All right, well, here's your king, but you're going to get what you asked for." The, this idea scripturally. Jesus clarifies, he said, this was part of the culture because Moses and the people wanted it. But he said, he said something important. He said, but since the beginning, it wasn't so. And and the reason I think this is important regarding polygamy is because God's demonstrating again, what he wanted us to understand through marriage, one man, one wife, is that God was going to be faithful to that covenant forever. He wasn't he wasn't going to divorce the church. Now I realize in our broken world and our sinfulness, you know, there there are reasons why people separate and I and I get that. And and I don't I don't condemn people because of that and that's not my purpose or my place here to to share it. All I'm saying is that from the beginning God's telling us I'm never going to leave you even if you're mean to me, even if you uh you know are are, are not faithful to this, the church, you know, sort of, so to speak. He's he's still there, and so in this idea, he's also saying, and I'm not going to like have eyes for another woman. I'm not going to be, you know, saying I love you, whispering that in your ear while I'm looking off at some other person. He's he's the one demonstrating his faithfulness. So he's saying, okay, so I want you and your relationships to do likewise. That demonstrates to me that you understand these things, right? So. I think that ties back into polygamy too. That how how can you and and I just want to touch on something you said, somebody. I know you got a hundred ideas going right now too. This how, how can you justify this? Because it had to be done in I suppose in a spiritual sense. Oh, God led me to know I'm supposed to go find another woman, Sally, and we're and she, I'm going to bring her home too and be good with this because this is a spiritual thing. It's just thinly disguised lust. How can you be in this relationship and then start looking at another woman when you said, I've, I've made my covenant with you, right? You can't do that. Yeah, it goes against the whole plan, the whole symbolism of Christ in the church, one bride, one bridegroom. It goes back to the same other kind of uh, sexual abominations um, as homosexuality and same-gender relationships and things like that. It goes against the whole uh, thing God's trying to get across of one God, one church, the faithfulness between the two, the relationship between the two. Um, and it says here in the Word leading up to that to that verse that our brother sent that was kind of a— I guess could be taken another way. It says, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, I have, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm, that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Because of this culture, this that it led to, a wicked people 
this many wives and concubines and this lustful living, nothing to do with faithfulness. God actually took a whole group of people and had to lead them away so that they could become righteous. And it says in verse 35, I, the Lord, will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. I will not allow it. Wherefore, because this is a righteous group, right? Wherefore, my brethren, hear me, hearken to the word of the Lord. There shall not be any man. Okay, so in case you haven't got it yet, one more time. There shall not be any man among you, save it have be one wife. And and to quote Nephi, who loves to say this, he says, I've spoken plain that you cannot (laughs) err. That's verse 36. Read that again, Mike. Uh, Hearken unto the word of the Lord. Okay, the word of the Lord. There shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife and concubines, he shall have none. For I, the Lord God, delighteth in the chastity of women's. Women. Women. <laughs> wow. Back yeah. time to put in this. <laughs> but what's and, your... Well, it, it, I was looking down at whoredoms. It says, whoredoms <laughs> are an abomination before me. He repeats that like three times. Yeah. He says, this was a whoredom in the old days. He said, whoredoms are an abomination to me, and this and so, is a whoredom. Like most scriptures, if you just take this next one on its own, fine. But in the context of what we just read, wherefore... This people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord of hosts, or cursed be the land for their sakes. Yeah. For if I will raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. In other words, he's brought this people out, he's raised up the seed unto him, and I'm going to command them. I'm telling them, you have one person, no otherwise. And then he says, let's say you go through a time where you don't where you don't have the Lord's speaking or you don't have a prophet or, um, you know, the Lord is silent for a period like he is many times in the scriptures. It says, uh, I'm going to command you. And otherwise, if, if you don't hear anything more from me, you will hearken unto these things. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that I will command my people to have many wives and go no. against what I just said. Exactly. It says, uh, if you hear nothing more from me, you will you will obey these things, these whole verses I've just told you. Yeah, exactly. So between that and the whole plan of husband, wife, man, God, church relationship, I think you did a great job of, of pointing that out. And it's one of those deals where you can, like I said, Brigham had to, you know, they have you have to justify your sin, and it's a lot easier to do. You know. Corey, you, you said something earlier about Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Bible Project, a great podcast if you guys want to check it out, they very clearly went through and they addressed this issue. And people say, well, why would I follow the Bible? You know, the Bible's full of adultery and all these men had many wives and, you know, they did all of these bad things and wicked things. And why would I want to be part of a God? And the Bible Project clearly points out the Bible is not saying that that's okay. Exactly. What it's saying is it gives a very good story that each one of those men that had multiple wives, it shows the downfall and all of the problems that came from that. Right. It's not saying this is the way to do it, right. but it does point out the story of uh, a whole culture falling because of that. The same thing with uh, the relationships between the firstborn and the secondborn and how you put favor on one man. Yes, that happens in the Bible. The firstborn was always the uh, got the greater blessing and everything, but it shows also the the sins and the problems that came from people doing that. So yeah. just because there is a way of doing things doesn't always mean that that was God's ideal way. And God, of course, wants parents to you know to love their children equally, 
not put favor on one just because of the birth rate. And we, we may think that's special. Well, that was, that was the way they did things. That's the way they passed things on. It doesn't mean it's God's perfect way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, this whole passage in Jacob continues in the, what Jacob is preaching this day to his own people is very powerful. He's describing this heartbrokenness, the condition. He says, you've broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children, his daughters, because of the bad examples you've set. And all this because <clears throat> maybe somehow the men of this culture were were, dem- were experimenting with this, and somehow it was breaking the hearts of the people to see this wickedness. You know, if and this was in the Old Testament times still, too. So it's like, here we have something interesting where God isn't saying, well, it's the Old Testament time, so I'm condoning this, um, and it's okay whenever anyone wants to practice it. No, he's saying, you are you are breaking, you are wounding your children. You're you're breaking your wives. And, and he's saying this to the Nephites, and what's interesting is that he then contrasts this in the later verses in like 50, 51, 52, to the Lamanites. And what's interesting is this, the, the language he uses. He said, he, he says, the land is going to be cursed for your sakes. And the Lamanites, verse 52, which are not filthy like you. So he's talking about, you know, how the Nephites would look down on the Lamanites for their physical condition and appearance. But he's saying, no, I'm looking at your spiritual filthiness. He said, they're not filthy like you. He said, even though they've been cursed and have been scourged. He said, but notice this. He says um, in verse 54, the Lamanites, your brethren, who you hate because of their filthiness and the cursings which have come on their skins are more righteous than you. And this is the reason, and it's interesting, because he said, for they, despite all their other falling away, have not forgotten the commandments of the Lord which were given them unto our Father, that they should have, save it were, one wife, and concubines should they have none. And there were not these whoredoms committed among them. I mean, that's exactly what the scriptures mm-hmm. say. So anyone who's trying to condone polygamy realize that the, the Lamanites, who were always the scourge of the Book of Mormon for so long, he's, saying, he's holding them up and saying, they haven't fallen into this ways for all their other fallings. And, 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 it, and it gets really good because what he says about this leads up to even our day and the reasons one of the reasons why the Lamanites still have this promise. In verse 56 he says, and now this commandment they observe to keep. Wherefore, because of this observance in keeping these commandments, the Lord will not destroy them, but will be merciful unto them, and one day they shall become a blessed people. Isn't that interesting? He says, because the husbands love their wives and the lives what wives love their husbands and the husbands and the wives love their children. All these things, he said, because they're still doing that, that's the blessing that's going to carry them through to their ultimate blessing of returning to Christ. Isn't that, isn't that something? Because they, they, they hold on to that one thing in their culture, even though they had lost sight of Christ and everything else, they still had that family unit, and it was intact. Yeah, you know, the sexual attraction and the sexual drive is one of our most base um, desires that you know in our hearts and if mankind can't bring that base desire under submission to the will of god then how can any other spiritual uh, thing you know how can he submit to the lord in anything else and it's just a pure lust 
uh, that men devise to fulfill their own carnal needs. Um, yeah. And it leads, uh, there's a, there's a testimony in the restoration of it, but it, uh, in a book by Edmund Briggs, but, um, he had a vision and he saw these two sisters and one was polygamy and the other was murder. And he said, and these two go hand in hand. And if you think about it, you know, if men is taking all of these women to them, there's not enough to go around. It doesn't equal out. And so somebody's got to be, um, somebody needs to go away, right? There's not enough men. There's not enough women for the men. There's so many things. Um, and it's just common sense. Just just think about this. If Joseph Smith wanted to practice polygamy, why would, and if he made up the Book of Mormon, why would he write in such very plain words, so plain that you can't mistake it, let me let me tell you again, you shall have but one wife. And if he, uh, if he made that up, why would he then go against that? And why would his only justification for that be one, one verse, which is, could be taken, you know, out of context could maybe be taken. Why wouldn't it plainly say, you know, unless I tell you to have many wives and commandments, which I may do in the future. What if I was making up a book and wanted to yeah. I have a lot of and justify my actions. That's what I would do, and that's what pretty much Brigham Young did. Was after Joseph died, uh, you know, fabricated a story that Joseph, you know, practiced polygamy, and here's a revelation, and so we can justify what we're doing. But, yeah. but Joseph, the man, while he was alive, that was not. I don't believe that was the case. And even even if there's a slight doubt, and and maybe maybe he did. That is not what the Book of Mormon says, and we can't judge the book by the character of men. If we did that, then we wouldn't have any scriptures at all to read. Yeah, you know, I <clears throat> two two times in my life, I guess I've, I've well, maybe some that I don't know, but two times I've had some conversations with people whose lives have been affected by polygamy. And the first time I ever heard this verse, the the loophole, you know, if I will command my people, I was actually flying on an airplane a row of three people like you do. And and I was seated next to a man and woman. They were married, husband, wife. They were several years my senior. But I saw she was reading the Book of Mormon and I just opened up the conversation. So you're a Book of Mormon believer. And, you know, I didn't know who they were or anything, but it turned out they were, you know, LDS and everything and pleasant, happy people. But as we got visiting with them, um, somehow the subject of polygamy came up and they, they kind of brought out that both of them had, come from homes that, you know, 60 or 70 years ago from Utah where polygamy was practiced. They were born out of polygamy, They're both, mm-hmm. and then they had joined together. And and I just said, I, I just want to understand that. And and that couple opened up the Book of Mormon and showed me that scripture. And, and, and everyone was taught that, that, well, if God commands his people. And it's like all these other ones, they were kind of told, well, you know, and they didn't say this, but it was as if, well, this is the only thing that matters that God could command His people, and so it was all justified out of this. But, but I'll, I'll tell you this, um, my, and so I'd never heard it before, but that's that's how they justified everything, and they they wanted to, you know, share how, oh, you know, the the women were all best friends and all this stuff. But you know, I I know someone, and I I'm going to be careful in this because um, it, it I don't know that they listen to the podcast, but it, it's such a emotionally difficult situation. I, I, I know a man and by most people they would look at him and say, Hey, this guy's successful. This guy's, um, a, he's a physician, um, you know, helps a lot of people in community, uh, served in the military even. Um, <clears throat> he's, he's LDS, good, nice, friendly man. And, and I know him personally. Um, 
what I didn't know when I first met him was that he was born in a polygamous family. He did not learn to read until he was 15. He was 15 years old and he couldn't read. He did not know who his father was. He ended up literally escaping that and had to start a life for himself at about the age of 18. I mean, learning to read and everything. And I I can't share a, a whole lot of the situation, but the emotional trauma and turmoil of his early years haunt him to this day. I mean, the unanswered questions. And he said, and there was abuse and, and the children witnessed it. And it was just awful. And the things that, that entered, and I, I hate to bring this podcast down because of this, but he said the the things that were done by men in these situations were were, were domineering, and they were they were not of God. They were not spiritual. And I and I'm not saying anyone who's ever been in that situation doesn't have God. But he's saying in his situation, it was traumatic. It was it, it created PTSD for him and mm-hmm. and, and, and many other right. conditions. So we have to understand that everything you've shared, Mike, is God's will and purpose and desire because it's beautiful, it reflects him, and there's um, a grand purpose behind it. Any deviation from that is is only a path into darkness. It's going to take us down the wrong roads. So we, we do not want to give room for Satan in any of this. Uh, there's there's no commandment for polygamy. There there has not been among our people anything that people thought was was of darkness. Right. I didn't know that. I didn't know that scripture actually was ever taken that way uh, until our good uh, brother from California sent us that question, um, and he pointed that out to me. So I'd always had attributed it to uh, the revelation that we would say is in the LDS doctrine and covenants, and not ours. Um, that that uh, was a justification for it for for a time. I didn't know that they took that Book of Mormon scripture in and tried to uh, twist it that way. Um, if there is any LDS listeners that are listening to us still, if they are still, sorry, <laughs> uh, the we we want you to know that there are people that believe the Book of Mormon, that believe the gospel contained therein, and are not part of the uh, LDS Church and. Um, we don't look down on them at all, and we don't we don't look down on any people that God has created. We are all children on a journey, um, unfortunately, at different times in this walk, and we, and we certainly don't have anything to shine about right now in the restoration in our fragmented state. And I would be the first to admit that we are in uh, a bit of a bind as well. But there's only one thing that you can go to in these times, and it's the gospel. It's the word of God. It is the truth and the rock, and we have to cling to it, as the as the vision of Lehi says or Nephi. Uh, they clarify clinging to the word, which is truth, the rod of iron, so that you're not deceived, so that you're not taken off into paths and mists of darkness, and wander off and never able to partake of the tree. And when people corrupt the word or try to, because of the pride and lust of their heart, change the word bad things happen. And so we can only cling to the word and the gospel contained therein and let everything else fall where it is. But um, there is hope. And for those that are that are in that background or, or have wondered, you don't have to give up your love for the gospel and the Book of Mormon and the wonderful miracle that brought it forth in these last days. 
um, because of corruption of men and how they've twisted that, always go back to the word and say, what does the Book of Mormon teach? And you will find the truth there. And we both believe in that, I think, wholeheartedly. Amen. So, Corey, we're almost out of time, brother. I didn't know that the listeners, (laughs) that those two questions would take so long, but I think it's been... It's been good, as always. We didn't know quite where we were going to go. Um, I tell you what, why don't you, if you want, and because we are talking about the word contained in the Book of Mormon um, and things that have happened in these last couple hundred years that people just wanted to poo-poo and say, oh, there's no way, you know, and, and this man from rural New York made all this stuff up and created this religion— Give them a teaser for what you saw this week. Uh, you came across some old writings, I believe. Oh, my gosh. verify, but I, I want to <laughs> just a little, I like doing these, just a little oh. teaser. We'll pick it up here in our next episode. You know what? I'm going to have to go keep your finger off that exit music <laughs> if I share any of this. No, but uh, so, okay, we'll, we'll share this for next time. But just like so many things, in route looking up other things, you, you learn things. And so... That's how I think I've learned 90% of whatever I found is by looking up something else. I was searching in old apocrypha type literature because I was searching for a couple words, the words for were weeping and wailing. And, and the reason for that is because some people who have, oh, there's so many of them who, who try to accuse the Book of Mormon of being false by taking a word and say, oh, this word was used in the New Testament. It wasn't used in the Old Testament. Nephi just couldn't have said it because therefore it was plagiarized by Joseph Smith. You know, you hear these things. So I was searching for a couple words that people were making claims about this. And, and as is the case, you find that those accusations are usually somewhat shallow and they're, they're not really uh, researched. They, they just throw them out there, see if anything will stick. So in this process of trying to look through Old Testament and even apocryphal, apocrypha-type writings, books that aren't in the current canon but at one time may have been or were considered holy or spiritual books, I came across a record from Ethiopia. And the name of this is the Kebra Nagast. And that is a trend, uh, that is the Ethiopian words for a book that literally means, I'll I'll read it here, The Glory of the Kings. And so in this book, in this record, which was at least 700 or 800 years old from Ethiopia, wasn't translated until the 1900s into English, we have a description in pretty plain language of almost exactly what Joseph Smith included in Genesis 9, where he talks about the everlasting covenant and Zion returning to earth. And it is amazing. There's right. that a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll pick up there um, next time. And thank you for those who uh, reach out and have questions. Like I said, we're not by any means anyone like the Bible Answer Man or the Book of Mormon Answer Man, but we certainly love to share the Word of God. And uh, if we say things that are wrong... Uh, hopefully the spirit leads you to the truth. Uh, we don't want to say things that are wrong, but we are just men and, um, we have our own ideas and we are learning and growing each week. So, Hey, how can they, uh, send a question if they've got one? Yeah. yeah. Just uh, restored gospel podcast at Gmail. Um, or you can find us on Facebook restored gospel podcast. Um, 
and you can send us a question there. Uh, people have texted me individually. Those of you that know us, you can do that or email us. So until next time, we're just walking each other home. All right. God bless. <laughs>